0: Psalm 15. Those are our scripture texts for today. We are coming to the end of our series on the Ten Commandments here, the good life. Um, well, make straight ways in the desert for the King is coming. And the way that, the way that happened in John the Baptist's time, right, was they were meditating on the, their need uh, for a Savior by, by going to the Jordan River to be baptized. For the forgiveness of sins, to say, I, need, I am confessing my need for Jesus, um, my need for a Savior. So that's part of the logic of keep plowing through the Ten Commandments to get ready for Christmas, uh, to help us better appreciate the gift of, of the one who was born of a woman under the law to, to set us free from the curse of the law. And so today, let's look at the Ninth Commandment as we meditate on our relationship with the truth. Let's pray. Let's read our text and then we'll pray. This is God's word. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In verse 20, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And Psalm 15, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. And speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. Nor takes up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised but who honors those who fear the Lord. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Who does not put out his money at interest. And does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved and this is God's word he has spoken to us today in love let's let's pray our father and our God as we meditate on Jesus who is the truth um, make us more like him uh, form us into a people who can speak the truth in love who do the heart willing to do the hard work of defending our neighbor's reputation and so for us to have that kind of depth of love, Lord. We need your spirit to, to continue to change our hearts, uh, to continue to, uh, to form us into a people who consider others more significant than ourselves, and we can only do that with your help. So we ask for that now, in Jesus' name, we pray, amen. I want to start with well, a, an old joke. I can, you'll tell it's old by, the, by the, the content here. Did you hear the one about the four pastors who went into a bar? Right? And they're, they're, they're hanging out. Um, it's supposed to be a friendly agree, uh just friends getting together and they're discussing the reality, right? As pastors, their parishioners pour out their hearts and souls and confession to them. And since confession is good for the soul, we should do that too. And so one pastor confessed he liked to go to the movies and sneak away, sneak off when he was away from his church. Uh, the second one confessed, I like to smoke a good cigar. Uh, the third one confesses. Uh, he has an uh, affinity for poker and playing cards. All right? I mean, these are, this is clearly a joke from like the 80s. <laughs> so it describes as like half the PCA. Right. <laughs> the fourth pastor has been quiet this whole time. When it was his turn, he didn't want to confess. And they say, oh, come on now. We've confessed, confessed ours. What's your secret? What's your vice? And finally, after a long pause, he said, It's gossip. And boy, I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> <All right. laughs> you know, it's, it's silly, of course. <laughs> but as you get into the ninth commandment, right, this, this is what God is legislating and, and teaching, training us in how to love is, is to actually care about the reputation of the people who are confessing their deepest secrets to us, all right, He is commanding how we should love our neighbor with our words and protect them with the truth. Um, And there's actually two main parts to this commandment. Uh, The first one's really obvious as we grew up saying, right? Do not lie. Tell the truth. Which is difficult enough, right? We live in a world with fake news. We live in a world where like 2022, the the word of the year was gaslighting. Um, Just manipulative leading people on to, to, to protect yourself. Uh, there's also just ordinary exaggeration. This is everyday life. I love to make myself look better than I actually am. All right? But the commandment is also talking about the reputation of others. All right? The commandment is do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so if you imagine somebody who's accused of a crime they did not commit, uh, they're arrested, there's a trial, and you know, all along they're swearing their innocence. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. And when in the trial they call some witnesses to the stand, and they have already conspired to lie, to bear false witness. Right? What what happens to that person? Right? To their reputation, to their job, to what their family thinks about them, to what their friends think about them. Right? Their name, which was good before, is now in the dumpster. It's worthless, and so the, the the scope of the ninth commandment is not just all, not just saying tell the truth, do not lie. It's also commanding us to care about our neighbor's reputation, uh, to to guard it, to defend it with the truth. And when when I think about it that way, I have to stop and say, man, what was the last time I actually stopped? and cared that deeply about what others thought of someone else. (laughs) Because I spend most of my time thinking about what others think of me. And so the the larger catechism, which again I have printed for you in the the bulletin, um, forbids everything, the ninth commandment forbids everything detrimental to the truth and detrimental to the good reputation of others as well as our own. Right? And so that, that's the world, the, the realm of, of truth that we're going to meditate on this morning. And, um, and so let's ask those questions. What kind of life is the Ninth Commandment describing and prescribing? What's it t- and what kind of community would we be if we took the Ninth Commandment seriously? And so the first point, right, is, is tell the truth. All right, to tell the truth, do not bear false witness. It's primarily about the justice system don't give false testimony about your neighbor in a court of law um, it's reflected in our culture right when you're called if you're a witness and you're called to the stand you you put your hand on the bible and they say do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth uh, so help me god right. but the reality is what what the ninth commandment is saying is don't bear false witness wherever you go that there are all kinds of reasons why we lie. There are all kinds of reasons why we are tempted to, to distort reality and tell stories that are untrue. But it's, it's getting us to meditate on this reality that, well, it's, I think it was Jesus who said, God will hold you responsible or accountable for every careless word. It's Matthew 12. Right? And so the, the, the big story of the Bible is one where it says we as human beings are skilled at twisting the truth right. as soon as you get you can't get past page two with Adam and Eve they, they believe the lie of the serpent and then they're immediately blaming someone else refusing to believe the truth about themselves right. I mean what about you when are you most tempted to twist the truth uh, to throw someone else's reputation under the bus to protect your own. All right? There's a a famous Old Testament story that illustrates the damage of how this this commandment works itself out. It's in 1 Kings 21. It's about the the wicked king Ahab. He's one of Israel's more famous wicked kings. He's married to Jezebel, uh, this terrifying woman, a scary beyond all reason. All right? Uh, and then in the story, King Ahab, right? He's He's the king. He's got loads of property. He's got it all. But his neighbor has, he wants to grow a vegetable garden. So I want what that guy has. And so Naboth is his neighbor, and Naboth was growing a vineyard on his land. It's the land of his father's. It's his inheritance, right? In Israel's economy, this this is how they lived. Your family owned a plot of land, and that was yours to pass on to your children so that they might flourish. And so Ahab, wanting a vegetable garden, goes to Naboth and says, all right, I got a deal for you. Give me your land, and I'll, I'll just give you a better vineyard. And if that's not good enough, I'll, I will just buy your property for a fair price. And Naboth says, no. How can I give, I can't give away the inheritance of my fathers. Well, King Ahab, being the mature man that he was, went home, ran into his bedroom, so to speak, and, and had a pity party. He refused to eat dinner. Um, And his wife sees how sad he is. And so Jezebel comes and says, husband, why are you so sad? And he tells her, Naboth won't sell me his land. I can't take it. And she goes, well, cheer up. Aren't you in charge? Aren't you the leader of Israel? Just go eat dinner. I got this. I'll take care of it for you. And so Jezebel forges some letters in the king's name that essentially rounds up two worthless men who agree to lie to go into his community and accuse Naboth of cursing God and the king. And so they do that. And there's a a trial. They bear false witness against Naboth and Naboth is stoned to death because of these worthless men and their lies. And so what's fascinating is in the story, it's a terrible story of injustice. Uh, The liars, those who bear false witness, the, the adjective used to describe them is worthless. In other words, their, their, their contribution to the world is so evil, it's of no value. Right. They're adding nothing good into the world. Um, 2 Samuel 23 uses that same word, worthless, and describes the worthless as those who are like thorns that deserve to be thrown away. Right? So this is a really great uh, mental image that if you're gardening, right, you don't you don't want thorns to thrive. You get rid of them because they choke out the, the good plants. They, but if you're going to remove the thorns, it's going to hurt you in the process. Right? Thorns add no value; they give no help to your garden thriving. And so you start to connect the dots here. You can see what the Bible is saying about liars. About the worthless, that lying is like planting thorns in someone else's garden, and for to remove those thorns, right, you're going to get pricked. They didn't have gloves. Um, liars draw blood. This is serious. It's much more serious when you read, yeah, "Do not bear false witness." I mean, okay, I should tell the truth. It, this is the Bible is incredibly blunt about the ways we cause harm by twisting the truth so do you, do you see lying is that serious All right to to describe someone as as worthless All right or, or what about ruining someone's reputation through the harmless the harmless ways of just ordinary everyday gossip All right you, you know someone struggles and more than willing to, to share it with someone else, whether they want you to or not. And then there's more malicious things of slander, where you do it on purpose, right? I can't wait to ruin their reputation because I want what they have. Um, or even being quick to rush to judgment. Right? Uh, the, the catechism said, Fritz says that uh, we are forbidden from expressing any kind of judgmental opinion that is rash, harsh or prejudiced, right. And so, I mean, if you have ever been on the receiving end of lies, gossip, slander, you know what that feels like. It feels like you have been tossed into a, a pile of thorns. And if you Google some of the thorns in, in the Middle East, right, I mean, these are some like two-inch long suckers. That's going to hurt, right? It's, it's a really graphic image. This is how much, how painful it is to have your reputation torn apart by untruths. All right. And so, just in case you have any reservations as to what God thinks about lying, let me give you one more passage. Uh, it's Proverbs six sixteen, and it's, it's a list of seven things that are an abomination to the Lord. All right. And out of the seven things that turn God's stomach, two of them have to do with I I would say three of them, actually, uh, have to do with the Ninth Commandment. A lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies, one who sows discord among the brothers, uh, a worthless fellow. It's an abomination. Do you hear that strong language? And so what the Ninth Commandment is after is that in God's world, And especially in the community that carries God's name and represents him, that we ought to be a people who tell the truth, who work hard to be witnesses to the truth, and are willing to love our neighbor's reputation with the intensity as we love and defend our own, right? Because a good name, according to the Proverbs, is better than riches, it's better than being wealthy. being favored is better than having all the silver and gold in the world. Because once your reputation is gone, it's almost impossible to get it back. You can ask anybody who's been publicly shamed in the last 10 years since the advent of social media. I mean, there's a really famous case of a, a young lady flying to Africa who made a wisecrack about AIDS. And she was on you know flying from like New York to South Africa That's like an eighteen hour flight um, and so she had no idea that her what her private joke that she was meant for somebody else um, had now gone viral and everybody was just destroying her online so so when she get off the plane she was now internet infamous and anyone who's ever had their been publicly shamed like that they're gonna pay big bucks t- you can't erase it from the internet you can just Send it down to the bottom of the Google list. But they're still known. Right? A good name is better than riches. Now, let's let's look at at Psalm 15 for a moment. It, It lays out the positive view of what God is looking for. Because Psalm 15 is describing the person who dwells in God's presence, to dwell in his holy hill, to be in his tent. Is someone who is enjoying God's hospitality, who's welcomed in, who is benefiting from His, from His presence. All right, and so the one who is welcome is a person who speaks the truth in their heart. And this is a, a Hebrew way of saying you're the same person, inside and out, a person of integrity. Um, I think a way to illustrate this better is, is Isaiah 29 when it says, these people honor me. God says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Right? They're saying all good things, but they don't really believe the words they're saying. There's a disconnect between their words and their hearts. Now, the person who's welcoming God's presence is someone who, who both from the heart right is speaking what is true, what is real, right? person who doesn't change based on the, the crowd you're walking with. All right. You can add to the picture, they're a person who is so committed to telling the truth, they also swear to their own hurt and won't change. All right. You know what that's like of... Um, being in one crowd, right? I'm really good at this. Of so hearing somebody, you got a divisive issue, and you want to be a peacemaker, and you got someone on on this side of the aisle, right? Someone on the right side, and you hear them, and you listen to all their points. You're like, yeah, that's great, I'm with you. And then you go to the left side, and you want to be friends with those guys, and we just pick any issue, right? And and they lay out all their points of what's wrong with the other guys, <laughs> and you go, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, right? So which is it? See, a person who swears to his own herd, it's a promise keeper, but it's a person who doesn't change based on circumstances or based on convenience. It's a covenant keeper. So part of what, part of, right, we're not going to talk about all of Psalm 15, but part of what Psalm 15 is after is be a person who doesn't distort reality with your words in your heart and with your mouth. Right? I mean, Jesus picks up on this in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, right, there's a whole bunch of people taking oaths, but I tell you, don't, don't take any oath at all. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Right? If you have to take an oath to persuade someone that you're telling the truth, it's much better just to just be a person of integrity so that your yes is always yes and your no is always no. And he says anything more than this comes from evil. And so in other words, what Jesus is saying, what the psalmist is saying is live as if your words are on trial and that God is a witness to every word you say and let your yes be yes and your no be no. Tell the truth, even if it hurts. Why? Well, who are you imitating if you swear to your own hurt, if you tell the truth, and you don't change your mind, and you don't lie. Right? Israel is to be a community that shows off God to the, to the world. Right? And Numbers 23 says, God is not man that he should lie, nor is he a, a human, a son of man, that he should change his mind. And, and the story of Genesis begins with God swearing to bless the world through Abraham's family, through Israel, Um, And if he doesn't, he says, may I die like these dead animals that he and Abraham just walked through. God is a God who swears to his own hurt. His yes means yes, and his no means no. And so, when we're being told, tell the truth, don't bear false witness, we're saying, God is saying, imitate me. Imitate your Father who is in heaven, who is the realist, his ultimate reality. So one more piece here in Psalm 15. All right? verse three. The blameless person doesn't take up a reproach against a friend. In other words, they defend their friend's reputation. They're slow to believe uh, gossip, if you will. They're slow to believe accusations against their friend, and and the catechism will go on to say, if it is true, you believe so regrettably. right? You're saying have a charitable view of your loved ones. Right? I mean, the way we work that out in our legal system, you're innocent until proven guilty. Right? See, to tell the truth, to defend someone else's reputation, that that is that is a godlike thing to do. And if you do that, you'll be a person who will never be moved. That's how Psalm 15 ends, right? To never be moved, that's, that's an image of just you're falling apart emotionally, physically. Because uh, the moment you lie, you know what happens, right? Anxiety creeps in. What happens when my lie gets found out? When they find out the truth, right? Lies breaks down trust in relationships, lies isolate I mean that's that's the story of the garden when Adam and Eve uh, believed the lie they hid from each other and Adam had the audacity to to say God it was the woman you gave me it's not my fault and so the portrait you have in the immediate aftermath is a man and a woman who used to be right united the lies have ripped apart that first community Lies isolate. They leave you alone. Have you you been moved, shaken by the way you've twisted the truth? I know I have. (laughs) Every time I've lied, you you just feel more alone. Now, let's connect this to the bigger story here. Why does keeping this commandment matter? Apart from the obvious God told us to. (laughs) Right? Right? Who is, this is the second point, we're called to tell the truth, why? Because Israel and us are called to be God's truthful witnesses, right? That's why we're here we started in Deuteronomy 4 in this, this sermon series, that Israel, if they keep these commandments, their neighbors are gonna look at them and say, this is this is your wisdom, your understanding. They're gonna look at Israel and say, "What? why are you so just? Right? They're gonna see God's justice, God's character, in the way they keep the commandments, right? Isaiah 43, God declares this idea. It says, Israel, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. See, just one place among many where God says, Israel, your job is to be a truthful witness to my character, to my ways, to my laws. Don't distort reality with your lying. Because, right, we know how this works, right? Christians are called to be witnesses of Jesus. Uh, we're, we're, when you become a Christian, you're, you're God's now living witness in the world to demonstrate the, the truth and reality of the resurrection. And when Christians lie, especially publicly, and it gets found out, it just destroys the trust they have in in whether the Bible is true or not, or whether we're trustworthy or not. We we ruin our witness. One commentator said, the heart of the gospel is that that you don't know Jesus without the witness of the church. Uh, The gospel is always mediated through someone else. In, In other words... God gives the church his spirit to tell the truth about what God is up to in the world through Jesus' resurrection, right? And the only way our neighbors are going to know that truth is if we tell them, and the only way they're going to trust that we're telling the truth about Jesus' resurrection is if we're truthful in other realms, right? I mean, when a, when a pastor gets caught lying, uh, any leader, but a pastor in particular, Right, it just destroys any trust the community has in that person. And then the community, the unbelieving community, has the right to turn around and say, well, is the resurrection real or not? Mm-hmm. How will our neighbors believe us when we talk about the gospel if we are not truthful witnesses? And that's this is what opens up this, the, the scope of the commandment to just to much more than telling the truth. It's it's about the way we live in the world and carry ourselves, right? And when you keep going through the cate- larger catechism, it says, uh, we must have a charitable regard for others, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good reputation, as well as regretting and putting the best light on their failings. So here's a great way to start. Right, It's, it's a great antidote for the evils of the way we ruin social media, right? Defend your neighbor's reputation whether you agree with them or not, right? Say, tell, tell the world what they would believe as they would say it instead of uh, misleading others, right? It's really easy to say, I want to win an argument and we, we call it a straw man argument, right? You just throw the easiest thing out there and then knock it down, yeah. We must freely acknowledge the talents and gifts of our neighbors, defend their innocence, readily receive a good report about them, whether you like them or not, (laughs) and reluctantly admit a bad one. You're starting to feel the weight of this. This This is huge. So how does God form us into a people who care about the reputation of others, who care about what other people think about Jesus as well, right? So it's, it's twofold. And the answer is, right, the gospel. It's what we're going to taste here in a few moments as we come to the table, right? Jesus Christ is a witness to the truth, and he's a witness to, to the reality that God knows every single thing about us more than we know ourselves, right? And yet he still sent Jesus to be born of a woman under the law, to keep the law that we could never do on our own, to set us free from the curse of the law, from death, to heal our broken reputation. Cause what is your reputation in God's eyes? As you just slowly build up each commandment, right? It's you get to the first one and like, oh I'm not that bad. I mean I'm not perfect. But if you just slowly add a building block, it's like you're just getting crushed by the weight of perfection. I can't do that. Right? And so, what's, what's happening is the Holy Spirit is taking the witness of His Word and witnessing to your heart and showing you the thought and intentions of your heart and how far they are from what God has commanded that we're sinners. Uh, that, 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 we, that our words have had thorns on them, that we have drawn blood with our lies. And fascinatingly, in, in the gospel, or shockingly, I should say, because a good name is better than riches, we see how much Jesus values your reputation in his Father's eyes. Because Jesus, in love, became human, yet he let his reputation be destroyed on the cross taking your place and on the cross you see jesus by shedding his own blood defending your reputation and speaking the truth at the same time right he's speaking the truth who are you 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 and i are people so bad that the son of god had to give up his life for us and yet we are so loved that he was willing to be crucified to be cursed to have God turn his face upon him, to, to, to bear the pain of injustice. Right? I mean, that's his story. I mean, if you have ever had your reputation destroyed by someone bearing false witness, Jesus knows what that suffering is like. I mean, remember Naboth. Right? Jesus had worthless men rounded up who made up lies to get a conviction so that Jesus could be put to death. A crown of thorns, was put on his head. Right. And so as Jesus lay dying there, as everyone was watching him hang from this tree, uh, in God's eyes in that moment, right, he was a lawbreaker, despite his reputation, the, the reality of him being perfect. And so at the cross, what are you seeing? You're seeing the, the Psalm fifteen, three in action. You're seeing the judge of the earth Refusing to take up a reproach against his friends, his disciples, his church. Rather, in love, he's, he's covering up a multitude of sins. It's Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, becoming sin so that we, in him, might become the righteousness of God. And what do you get? Because of all that suffering on his part, you're given a name, his name. Right? You're, you're called a Christian, you're given a name that is better than any riches. You're given a reputation in God's eyes as if you had kept every single commandment perfectly from death, from birth till death. Now, in God's eyes, as you are hidden in Christ by faith alone, what does God see? He's, he doesn't see <laughs> your, your sin in the sense that he sees you through the lens of Christ. You have Jesus' reputation, his record of righteousness. Even as he's still willing to speak the truth to you to say that you are not yet righteous as Jesus is righteous. Let's work on that. <laughs> right, But if you believe that reality that the heart of the gospel is Jesus defending your reputation and giving you a, a name, um, that's going to shape the way you live this out in a community. right? Because if if the wisdom of the cross is, is showing us how we can use the truth to both love and defend others, the, and the heart of the gospel is Jesus using the truth to defend me, right? that should transform the way we live together. Right? The, the, the catechism lays it out this way. We must have a charitable regard for others, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good reputation. As well as regretting and putting the best light on their failings, we must freely acknowledge their talents and gifts, defending their innocence, readily receiving a good report about them, and reluctantly admitting a bad one. We should discourage gossips, flatterers, and slanderers. Part of what, what this is getting after is, right, is now, as you see how Christ loved you, go love and defend the reputation of others with the truth the way Jesus loved and protected yours, right? And interestingly, we do that sometimes through confession because he's teaching us to be honest with ourselves, right? But but think about life in a community, how gossip works and how gossip tears relationships apart, right? God came down to you and I in Christ to say, here's what's wrong with you, Right? He went straight to the source. Gossip loves to take juicy news, someone's imperfections, whatever it may be, and with little thought as to what it does to their reputation, we just talk about them. And sometimes it's harmless, so to speak. But so often what destroys a community is not necessarily the sixth commandment, or the seventh. I mean, those are all they all can. But often in Christian community, what destroys relationships is failure to keep the ninth commandment. Right? Slander. That's, that's the, the willful decision to say, I don't know if this is true, but it sounds true. And so I'm just going to spread that bad news to whoever wants to listen. Or it's even more intentional in saying, you know, I just don't like that person, and so I'm going to spread things that are not true. That's that's the complete opposite of the way Jesus treats us. Right? What what slander does is it puts throws someone else's reputation in the trash for the sake of my own. Right, and so what I'm hoping and praying that as we meditate on the ninth commandment, really as we meditate on the gospel and how Jesus has, who is the truth, and has graciously uh, protected our reputation in Him, is that this would shape the way we we live together that, that that our community as a church would be safe if you will right, i mean part of part of our system of government for example right we are led by elders uh, the, the the session right and and so what's fascinating is it's a gift to the congregation because we get to protect your reputation right, if there's some kind of moral, public moral failure, whatever it might be, right, one of our callings is to come alongside you. And within reason, to the best of our ability, you know, assuming it's not a criminal offense and we have to report you to the police, uh, right, you don't have to stand in front of every single person in the church and tell them and air out all your dirty laundry, right, part of the system of government the way the way the scriptures lay this out is we're, we're here to, to protect your reputation and help you battle sin in community without necessarily having to have your reputation just thrown away permanently right allows you to be pastored uh, to build trust right and so that's part of the commandment don't bear false witness I mean it be the same in, in our relationships together, right? That is, you find a friend here in the church that you would find a friend who is not willing to take up a reproach against you. So that should you fail, they're not there pouring gasoline on the fire that someone else started or that you started. They're there as a, a friend to say, I'm going to, yeah, you did this. And it, and it makes me sad, but I'm still going to love you and, and walk alongside you and, and not, not feed you to the wolves so to speak. All right. So, the, the gospel, according to the ninth commandment, is tell the truth and love one another with the truth as Jesus loved us. Let, let's pray. Father, as we come to the table, we are, we are going to taste your goodness. We are going to taste the good news and bad news of, of the gospel, uh, that we are more sinful than we are often aware of, and yet we are loved more than we can imagine in Christ. And so I pray that we would be a, a people here at Hope Church who love and defend the truth, who are truthful witnesses of Jesus, and who are um, willing and able to, to love our neighbors, ourselves, um, love their reputation. And for that, we need your spirit to be at work, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to, to invite the elders to come forward as we get ready to come to the table. Now, as one of my privileges, as, as we talk about communion, is to give the invitation uh, from Jesus that that this meal is not a meal for the perfect right that this is not a meal for those who have told nothing but the truth it's <laughs> for those who have twisted the truth it's for those who have put their faith in Jesus and rest have received and rest on him alone for salvation and so if you're you're here this morning and and you're you're just being crushed by a, a guilty conscience right come and taste the grace that God purchased for you in Christ and so we invite anyone who has professed faith in Christ, who is part of a church that preaches this good news, um, come and eat. Come and drink. Come and have the, the gospel signed and sealed to your heart that you would know God's love. Um, I'm going to pray for God's blessing here in a moment, but hear, hear the words of institution from, from Jesus. That on the night Jesus was betrayed he give th- and given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your spirit to be at work uh, in this meal, that we hear the words, we are loved infinitely more than we can imagine uh, by you, Father, and that, that uh, the Bible tells me so, that yes, Jesus loves me. And so as, as we taste this bread and we drink this cup, Lord, I pray that our hearts would believe it, that your spirit would be pouring out that love into our hearts and that your spirit would be a witness to our hearts that we are your children and that we belong to you, uh, that, that we would leave here with greater assurance of your presence with us and with a, an even greater desire and commitment to, to love our neighbor as you loved us. So may your your presence be known here as we sit at the table together and feast on Christ crucified for us. And may we be abound in hope knowing that we will not always fight these battles. The best is yet to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, "This is my body, broken for you. (laughs) Eat and do this in remembrance of me." Invite the elders to come forward, and we'll we'll eat together. And just if you're wondering, the communion bread is gluten free. As we remember Jesus, we're tasting the reality that God swore to his own heart in the broken body of his son. Taste and eat. So afterwards, Jesus took the cup and he said, This is the new covenant in my blood, which is for the remission of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we're going to remember Jesus.